stuff. Maybe you say it's about people becoming Christians. Maybe it's that warning of impending doom. Or actually, it's not relevant unless you're really, really bad. Hallelujah for PowerPoint. So baptism... Now, the reason I did this is because I don't want you to miss out, and that is with every baptism class, I know it's a big thing to come to, and um, I try to give a little treat to everyone who comes along, and that is, I know you're paying, this is my baptism photo. Okay? So that's for anyone who does the baptism class, they get to see me with hair coming out of the Irish Sea, glowing, not with the Holy Spirit, but with radioactive material. It's an, it was an amazing time. So then we push on, and there's that passage I told you from Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized, and we're rushing through. What must I do? That's the series. What must I do? Repent, there we go, and we're almost caught up to repent, and there's the graph. Boy, you're good today, I have to say. Isn't that horrifying, though, that graph? Let's look at that graph again. If we just think that this word repentance belongs in the 19th century or for someone becoming a Christian for the first time, I wonder whether we're missing out on something. I wonder, without repentance, do we have an incomplete gospel? That's what I'm suggesting. I'm not sure how many sermons or books you've even read recently that have focused on, on repentance and repenting. It's interesting to note something about this thing about repentance. The first thing is this. Um, Jesus' first message was repent. Matthew and Mark, when Jesus comes on the scene after his baptism, the first sermon he preaches is repent. The kingdom of God is coming really close. Repent and believe the good news. It's also the very, very first church sermon ever preached. That was Peter on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. We just read it. The main essence of it is repent and be baptized. The word repent, or the idea of repent, is actually at the heart of nearly all the prophets in the Old Testament. It's all about repent to the Lord. Even more than Jesus, or Peter, or the prophets saying repent, is this interesting key element, is that in nearly every circumstance in Scripture, the word and the call and command to repent is to the people of God to Israel, to Judah, to the Pharisees, to the church. Yes, the Ninevites get challenged as well. Yes, the pagans and the Gentiles. But primarily, the command to repent is to God's people. But we're going to park that for a moment over here. Is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah, it's over here. All right, don't forget about it. We might come back to it later. It's important that we look at this word repent and repentance. What's it all about? If I'm called to do it, what does it mean? Well, let's look at the Old Testament. The word is shub. (laughs) I think it's a great Hebrew word. The Old Testament word for repent is shub. And what it actually means is basically to do a 180 degree turn. I used to be in the boys' brigade. Yes, with the little hat, the badges, the sash, and everything. It was very cute. Um, And I I was the drill commander. Did you like? So I would have a, a, a battalion of guys that I would give drill commands to, and they did my bidding. It was a great ego trip. <laughs> and one time I remember I was, I was reading my commands out at this competition. Yes, drill competition can get any more exciting. Um, 
And I remember when we were practicing and I was reading out these commands and I got distracted by something. And the next thing I noticed is that this entire company where people were just marching against a wall. <laughs> and so, oh, no, 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 about turn. And then they turned around like this and they went off in the correct direction. That is shub, turning around 180 degrees. It's not often translated as repent. It's more often translated as turn or return. And these are just six references. You can write them down. There's going to be loads of things thrown at you from the Bible. That's kind of a good thing. Um, there are thousands of references in the Old Testament to turn, return, this idea of shub. And this is only six of them. And what it basically means is turn. Turn what? Turn from sin and turn to God. Because as soon as you turn from something, you're immediately turning towards something else. So it's not a choice between this God or that God. It's a choice between sin and a complete rejection of it and going towards God. This is not a which one would I rather have. It is a complete and utter turn, a radical change, a total rejection of that way and a complete course readjustment. Billy Graham, whenever he was asked in a book, what would you say is the definition of repentance? He said it's very easy. It just means turn around. So we go to the New Testament, and one of the key words, maybe you've heard about this before, is this Greek word called metanoia. In fact, there's another word called metamelomai. And metamelomai is just actually feeling a bit bad, a bit rubbish, regretful. Judas felt regretful, and then he went and killed himself. He didn't do anything positively to change. So it's about feeling regretful as meta, meta, me, that first one. But metanoia is something completely different. Metanoia is more than that bad feeling of regret. It actually means to afterthink. That's the literal translation. In other words, to change your mind. Now, maybe you've had the situation where you're in a nice restaurant, usually Italian because the restaurant menu is always amazing in Italian restaurants, my opinion. Um, and you sit there and, and everything looks brilliant and you go, right, I'm, I'm going to have the spaghetti bolognese. The waiter comes on and says, what would you like? Spaghetti bolognese. Oh, 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 carbonara. No, 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 bolognese. And you keep on choosing, I'll just go for that one. And then as they go away, you've settled on your choice, carbonara. And you call them back and say, any chance I can change it to lasagna? Because we are, we are so many choices and we can change our minds really easily. That's not what this change of mind means. This is complete and utter changing of thought pattern, processing and mind and decision. So many choices. It's the word that's used by the apostles. It continues that sense of Hebrews turning from one way of thinking towards another. But perhaps the most uh, beautiful picture of, that captures both the shub and the metanoia is when Jesus told the story of a boy who ran away from home. The boy who said to his dad, you know, Dad, I wish you were dead and I had my inheritance now, so cough up. I want to go and live the life of Riley. He goes off, spends it in what's called wild living. That covers a multitude of things that we really shouldn't be thinking about. And then it says he came to his senses. He was there in the mud surrounded by unclean pigs. And the only food that he had was the pods that the pigs left over. And he had a change of mind and a change of direction. He walked back to the Father. And he was welcomed with open arms. 
You see, forgive me for this, but I disagree with Billy Graham. I don't think repentance actually is described best as turn around. I think the way this word repent and the command to repent comes from God throughout the entirety of Scripture is summed up in these two words. Come home. Come home. That's a different spin on repent, isn't it? Just come home to me. You're welcome. So what does this repentance actually involve? We're going to explore just three different ways um, that we have to kind of to truly understand this word repentance and get rid of this nasty, judgmental kind of doom or gloom. First thing is regarding our mind. We're told by God, by Jesus, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we need to understand something. What do we need to understand regarding repentance? The first and prime thing is the holiness of God. And we also need to understand the sinfulness of us. Just as Moses stood before the burning bush and experienced the holiness of God. As we read in Scripture, words that cannot really do justice to this concept of the holiness of God. In the light of God's holiness, we are revealed to our sinfulness. I know it's not a very popular word, this word sin, is it? We've mentioned that a few times. Maybe it's even less popular than the word repent. But we have in Romans 3.23 that amazing phrase that says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The Pope has sinned. The Queen has sinned. Lisa Holmes has sinned. (laughs) All have sinned. But we go, yeah, yeah, we get that. I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as Hitler. That's a common, I've heard that many a time when I've talked to people about sin. Yeah, I know I've done the odd bad thing, but I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen. Yeah, maybe we'll see about that. And I'm not as bad as Hitler. We are comparing in the wrong direction. We're comparing to the worst to make us feel better. Instead, compare ourselves to the best. And then we all walk away going, we cannot compare to the holiness of God. Once we have a conscious understanding of the holiness of God, we cannot escape the reality of our sinfulness. We have to understand that. Isaiah, when he experienced the holiness of God, he said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Peter, when he first encountered Jesus, and he calls Jesus, and he does the miraculous catch of fish, he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. And we had this beautiful passage read to us about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Whereas the Pharisee, in all his religious pomp and ceremony, that really... Uh, faithful attendee of church on every committee that's going at the heart of every organization regarding the church, raises the hands at the right time and puts their name down on a rota at the right time as well. This is the person who goes, I'm glad I'm not as bad as Hitler. And then we look at the tax collector who is beating his breast and he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. With a true awareness of the holiness of God, we cannot escape uh, the reality of our own sinfulness. So if you think you're doing all right, you haven't looked at God's holiness recently. 
It's one thing to know our sin, but it's, a, it's, it's another thing to, but our response. Do we just feel a bit bad? Do we feel a bit of regret? Oh dear, how about a bit, oops, I've done it again. How many people's confession to God could be translated like that? I know mine does. Oops, God, I've done it again. Really sorry. Next time, God, oops, slowly me, I've done it again. I think a lot of our confession is like that. Oops, I've done it again. What does repentance actually say? If we truly recognize our sin before a holy God and that it needed Jesus to go to the cross and die in order to deal with it, there should be some kind of emotional response. It doesn't mean that you're, I'm not an emotional person, I shall not feel anything. I'm sorry, you would, you would feel something. And it says that we need to feel our, something in our hearts. We need an emotional response as well as a mental understanding. The book of Joel says this in Joel 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, shub to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Don't just show me that you feel a bit bad, but actually rend your heart before me with weeping and mourning. Let me ask you, when was the last time you wept over your sinfulness? For me, it's an awful long time ago. The Hebrew word that's used is naham. Naham is about regret, guilt, and lament. Peter, after he'd let Jesus down, uh, the three denials, he sees Jesus and then says he went and wept bitterly. Repentance is more than feeling bad, but it is important to feel something. But what should we feel? Because there are two things, and we've touched on this before, and I need to bring it back again. We can either feel guilt, or we can feel conviction. These two different directions of genuine sorrow. We've spoken about it before. I have inherited a number of things from my mother. I've spoken to my mom. I'm glad she doesn't do the internet, because she probably would listen to this. And the number of times I say, I've got this from my mom. <laughs> um, one of the things is a guilty conscience. Um, if I'm in a group and something's gone wrong, I'll probably presume it was me that did it. And I go, it was me. I'm like, was it not me? Oh, I still feel bad about it. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm sure we've all felt guilty about things that we've done. We can sit and think about the sins, mistakes, missed opportunities. We can rattle off a list of, I could rattle off a list of sins and I could say, I feel bad about it. Do you feel bad about it? And I could say, go on, do you feel really bad? You could feel really bad about it. But that's me pointing the finger. It's also maybe ourselves pointing the finger. Or it's Satan pointing the finger. What does Satan's name mean? It means the accuser, the finger pointer. You are guilty. You're rubbish. You're dreadful. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. That person over there is not good enough. And it leads to a spiral of remorse, sorrow, sadness, regret, and ultimately, death. Repentance doesn't do guilt. Repentance has the touch of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is the touch of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simon Ponsonby in his book, Different, Living the Holy Life, it's a cracking, um, cracking first few chapters, if I'm honest, I haven't finished the book yet. Um, 
But he talks about a number of Christians who would go from one conference to another conference, one celebration to another celebration, to get their spiritual fix, to get their hit of the Holy Spirit, to feel that buzz. And that's lovely, but that's not what the Holy Spirit was given for. Jesus said what the Holy Spirit was for in John 16. He said, the Holy Spirit will come and will convict the world in regards to sin and righteousness. The prime role was that the Holy Spirit would convict I'm going to tell you something really mega significant that only occurred to me this week. One of those kind of, you know, fish slap faces when I go, oh, oh yeah, I didn't realize that. Are you ready to kick yourself because you're going to realize that you've not thought of this before? Are you ready? Get your foot ready to kick yourself. Go on. Here it is. The Holy Spirit is holy. Think about it again. The Holy Spirit is holy. It's not his first and his second name. Mr. Spirit, Spirit holy, present. The Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. When we encounter the Holy Spirit of God, we should recognize our sinfulness because that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. I got the wrong verse here. It's actually chapter 7, not chapter 8. Paul writes, Godly sorrow brings repentance. Godly sorrow, conviction, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow, conviction. All of this sounds incredibly heavy and depressing, doesn't it? When I looked at repentance, I went, oh, great. It's going to be one of those miserable ones. The thing is, to every Romans 3.23, there's a Romans 3.24. Is that the right verse? Yes. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Rubbish. But are justified freely by His grace. And in and, and, and Joel, when it says about rend your hearts, it's swiftly followed by 13b, which talks about, but God will forgive you. And throughout the entirety of Scripture, the conviction is followed by the assurance of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It says in Romans 8, verse 1, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Think about the story of the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. How do they all end? with a party. They all end with a party, a celebration. Repentance is not about miserable doom and gloom. It's about celebration because it's about a child coming home to its father. It's about a lamb being picked up by a shepherd and brought home again. That is what repentance is about. So naysayers and doomsayers get away because repentance is a holy, beautiful thing deserving of celebration. Hallelujah. Amen. So we have the mind that says God is holy and we are sinful. There's a heart to respond, a godly conviction to change. But there is an action that needs to be done. And this is where we get to the very heart of this term repentance. A commitment to move 180 degrees from sin and self to God. To have that conscience 
conscious change of mind. This is not a passive thing. And I think too often in our grace-filled, grace-emphasized message, we've not said, actually, to access grace fully, you need to repent of the past. You need to repent of your attitudes. You need to repent of your sins and come to the Lord to be renewed. And too often people become Christians or have experiences of God and think, that's it, I can continue doing as I have been. No, you cannot. The Greek word that is often used is this Greek word epistropho, which is about a positive change of action, of course. It's in Acts chapter 9, it's in 1 Thessalonians, a positive expression, the commitment to live differently. And cracking way of putting it, John said to the religious authorities, the ones who thought they were holy and pure and religious and got it all sorted, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Live differently. Live differently. God's forgiveness, His grace are free. They always have been. He is the initial and prime mover towards us. But it is our responsibility to access His grace and His goodness, His forgiveness through the gateway of repentance. A choice, an active choice to change the way that we live and not just think the Holy Spirit will do all the work. We need to choose actively a change of direction to distance ourselves from the actions, situations, habits, even addictions that we have. The influences and the situations where we know we are putting ourselves in or release, not releasing ourselves from the past. We're not playing our part. We have to make a choice to pursue holiness, to pursue the Jesus lifestyle. And that is the gospel call, my friends. That is the gospel call, to reject the past and live fruitfully for the future in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that is pursuit of holiness. For some people today, that is the first time you've heard that. This is not about condemnation. This is about freedom. Do whatever it takes to eradicate sin in your life. Choose to do a 180 degrees turn. We can only do it and live that repentance life with the prompting and help of the Holy Spirit. Luther once uh, called repentance a lifelong process, the fruit of faith. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of the believer to be one of penitence, to be one of repentance. And if you think that this call to repentance is just for the sinner who's outside the church and miles away from God, let's go back to what we parked over here, shall we? Do you remember that? That repentance, the call was first and foremost to the people of God, to Israel, to the Pharisees, to the church, Alongside all the other nations, the Ninevites, Gentiles, and pagans, it was the church of God. Many people at the church do and say the right things, pray the right prayers, have the right experiences, etc., but have never truly experienced repentance. And I believe that that has actually hampered healing and restoration and forgiveness because we've not repented. Christianity, even church, can be a nice club, a nice life-enhancing community, a community to belong to, but the Bible shows again and again and again that when a person comes to Christ, repents and surrenders, that must be reflected in everything about them. There must be a demonstrable difference in their life for, that people see. 
Not one verse of Scripture tells us that we can be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then live whatever way we want. Not one verse of Scripture. Many verses about us being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, and the surrender of our heart, soul, mind, strength, talents, uh, passions, treasures, priorities have to be subservient to the Lord Jesus. Our attitude must be that of seeking His holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to see the Holy Spirit poured out more and more in this church. Would you? Genuinely. I want to see the Holy Spirit in revival around this, this town, this town of Skipton, yes? Around the UK? Gavin Calver stood here a couple of weeks ago, and he said in his national look, he's seeing signs of revival. He believes in his lifetime he will see a revival in the church. And hopefully that got you a little bit excited, yeah? Brilliant. One problem. It always begins with the church on its knees. And it always begins with confession. If my people who are called by my name, it's up there on the board, it's on the screen, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Does our land need healing? Then the church needs a whole dose of conviction and repentance and returning to God. That's why the thy kingdom come thing is such a massive deal. It's calling the church to get back to praying and confessing and seeking God's face. It's why, do you know him? It's not just a fancy title. It's because it's calling people back to Jesus. And that's why we're seeing God's kingdom coming and breaking through. Do you want to see more of it? Then get on your knees. That's something I am wrestling with. God has challenged me about. It's no coincidence that Spring Harvest's theme this year was about prayer. No coincidence. And a number of other things coming up, which are really exciting, we'll, we'll come to you in a bit. But all revivals start with this. Acts 3.19 said the Lord will come and restore in response to repentance. The story of the 1949 Hebridean revival. I don't know if you know the story. If you don't, look it up. Who feels a little bit old and a bit tired sometimes? <laughs> Go on, own up to it. You cannot after this story. Two women, 182, 184, decided enough's enough, we're going to pray for our island. They met together for about maybe two weeks. They prayed maybe from 7 o'clock in the evening through to about 3 or 4 in the morning. They sought God's face. And after this, there was a call to the leaders of the church to come and pray. For a month and a half, they prayed. One member, after reading Psalm 24, felt the Holy Spirit call them to holiness. He fell down on his knees, overcome with the Holy Spirit, and an awareness of God swept through the entire island. One night, a preacher was there, a couple of hundred people in the room. He thought, well, this is good, not bad for a revival, but really a revival. Later on in the evening, someone opened the door and said, there's 600 people outside wanting to get in. The entire island was moved by the Holy Spirit. Where did it start? A really good preacher? No, it started with a couple of old women in a little shack who were praying and seeking God's face and repenting of their sins. So here's the challenge. I don't want anyone to feel that I've stood here and pointed a finger because I'm pointing a finger straight back. That whole thing, if you point a finger that way, there's three pointing right back at you. Actually, ignore that. It's open hands. Holy Spirit, will you search me? Psalm 139. Search me and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any offensive way in me and get rid of it. When was the last time you had a spiritual MOT? You take your car in once a year, don't you? To get it checked. 
When was the last time you took your soul into the garage of God and said, God, would you have a check and see how I'm doing? And the same way if we took our car in and they said, I'm sorry, your engine's about to fall out the bonnet. It's going to crash and you're going to have a nightmare. You go, do you know what? I'll take my chances. You know, don't do that, do we? So why don't we go before God and say, God, what is there that you want sorting out? Don't listen to you or your friends or anyone else. Don't listen to the Satan who's going to tell you you're just rubbish. Just park that because that's just nonsense. Go, Holy Spirit, I know that I'm a filthy sinner. I need your grace. Will you point out what you need to change in me? Are you brave enough to ask that this morning? Honestly, I don't know if I am because that's a terrifying prayer. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. But remember, repentance is about celebration. It's about joy. I'm going to ask the band to come up if that's all right. Because we're going to respond to this because I really believe that God today is calling to some people with that really beautiful message of what repentance really means. Come home. Come home. I believe that there's some people, that's the first time that they're going to actually repent of their sins and actually have an experience of meeting the risen Jesus and his forgiveness. Whether that means they've been at church forever and this is something new or God is challenging to say, do you know, this area in your life, you need to choose to walk a different way. Or maybe it's just a commitment to say, God, I think I'm all right, but will you check me over? Because I want you to root out whatever is not good. Let's pray. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes, everybody, because then there's a bit of safe anonymity apart from God and me.